This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What are they going to do? Violence breaks out on a bus. You don't need to touch him. You do not need to touch him. <laughs> Another example of crime that has B.C. mayors demanding help from the province. Canada's most wanted. You've already been looking over your shoulder since you decided to evade arrest. The hunt for suspected killers after a gangland hit that might have been payback. And small houses could be a solution to a big problem. The more policies you have, the more people need to review those. Why backyard builders say there are too many restrictions. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC's mayors are once again pressing the provincial government to do something about what they say is a revolving door justice system. Repeat offenders who victimize communities over and over. And as Romina Dea reports, they followed up a meeting in December with Attorney General David Eby with a letter containing some jaw-dropping statistics. Kevin Wayne Morgan has over 500 run-ins with police. BNE, theft, robbery. We first told you about the Vancouver offender 14 years ago. He's been charged again. Break and enter just a few weeks ago. It is a bit unbelievable. It is an issue across urban British Columbia. Alarming data now coming to light from 13 mayors across the region. The BC Urban Mayor's Caucus fed up with prolific offenders, victimizing their communities over and over and over. The solution that we are putting forward is not lock them up. Kelowna, Nanaimo, Victoria and Vancouver, the worst of 10 cities. In total, just 200 plus chronic offenders involved in over 11,600 police incidents in the last year alone. Leader of the official opposition. MLAs pounding the Attorney General in question period. When will the Attorney General look at the statistics under his watch, do his job, and actually take some action to deal with prolific offenders? A lot of these offenses are driven by people with serious mental health and addiction issues. And that's why the complex care initiative that we are rolling out across the province is going to make a huge difference for public safety in a number of communities. The Mayor's Caucus also concerned with a catch-and-release justice system. Its data depicts a 75% increase of no-charge assessments by Crown, guilty judgments down 20%, and a 26% increase in cases stopped or suspended. There's got to be a better interaction between the health system and the justice system, otherwise this revolving door across urban British Columbia on, in all of our downtowns, it's not going to stop. As for Morgan, he'll stand before a judge one more time. He's been struggling with severe mental health and addiction issues for years. It's unclear why he continues to plummet through the cracks. Romina Dea, Global News. 
Catalytic converter thefts have plagued Metro Vancouver drivers and cost ICBC millions of dollars. Thieves want the component for its rare and valuable metals. Now there's a new twist on the crime that leads to even more damage and costly repairs. Kamal Karmali has more. Another catalytic converter theft, but this time it's how they steal it that's different. Excuse me! Not sawing it off like we've seen before, but tying the entire exhaust system to their own vehicle and then driving away, pulling the catalytic converter with them. You know, I don't understand why they would do it. That was Divya Diaz's Honda Accord that was targeted, and she wasn't the only one. My neighbor three doors down uh, was also targeted that very same morning, um, and they also had a Honda Accord. Ripping off the exhaust system the same way, but this one they left behind. Okay, so your bill? Diaz now picking up her car from this automotive shop after this team installed a new one. A big hit to her wallet for the deductible and a bigger hit to ICBC. Um, I believe it's around 2000 or so. It's not the only car here for the same reason. All three vehicles at this automotive and exhaust shop are here because of stolen cat converters, all pretty high in value. Replacing this one alone is $1,300. Since November 2020, John estimates he's seen more than 200 vehicles come in for stolen catalytic converters. All different claims. Some sawed off, but many appear to have been yanked right off. So it takes a lot of extra time to cut it. So if they start the cut and then tie a, a rope to it and pull it, they're, they're gone. Yeah, so it's quicker. Quicker. Quicker and costlier to replace, not just the catalytic converter, but the entire exhaust system. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, they're all different, it depends. Uh, we do see um, an organized uh, element uh, to a lot of the thefts. We do have networks of people that, that are working together. Divya now worried she'll be victim again to another catalytic converter theft. I feel like I can't really do anything about it. With little to no options left on how to avoid becoming a target. Kamal Karamali, Global News. The city of Vancouver is once again tackling the issue of closed-circuit cameras and whether or not they cut down on crime. And if they are a deterrent, what about the privacy concerns? Imadagahi has more on the motion to dramatically increase surveillance in the downtown core. Well, Imad? Yeah, Chris, this particular agenda item has sparked a lot of informal debate over the last couple of days. But tonight, the councillor bringing it forward here uh, to Campion West 12th will get a chance to make her case. They seem to be everywhere these days. Coming in all shapes and sizes, surveillance cameras monitor intersections, storefronts and transit exchanges. Now City Councillor Melissa DiGenova is calling for more public CCTV cameras in the city of Vancouver. All I'm asking for is cameras that record but aren't being watched live, uh, but they can provide evidence in a violent crime. DiGenova is asking her colleagues at City Hall to support a motion asking for the city to work with the Vancouver police in finding the best areas to install surveillance cameras. She says with random assaults on the rise in the city, it is time for a new approach. I think that this is an important tool to solving violent crime in our city. It's not the only tool. The Vancouver Police Department says security video is an increasingly valuable investigative tool that has helped them identify and arrest violent offenders. The department, using recent examples of investigations, quickly solved with CCTV. 
But the Canadian Civil Liberties Association is concerned with over-surveillance and the potential of facial recognition software. There's a ton of data out there from countries like the UK, where they've been using this uh, method for decades, that shows that any deterrence effect is very short-lived and very minimal. They are helpful for investigating crimes. So the question becomes, do police need the help? I think people can be confident that there are systems in place, legislation in place, which regulates what the government can do with the information that's collected. Kyle Bienvenue is a Vancouver lawyer specializing in privacy issues. He says while there are limitations and laws against recording conversations and private properties, the public sphere is fair game. So the city is going to have to be careful about making sure the cameras are pointing at only public places and not in places where people might have an expectation of privacy. Not pointing in windows, not pointing in garages or driveways. That's going to be a challenge. The opponents of this will say that it is maybe over-surveillance, it's dystopian. What would you respond to that? Um, For anyone who doesn't support moving forward with CCTV cameras uh, in public spaces, I'd ask why they haven't waged a war on the cell phone camera. So the motion is yet to be tabled during this all-day marathon council meeting that has just resumed after a dinner recess. Those councillors expected to continue late into this evening, and that is particularly when we are expecting to hear the discussion around this CCTV motion take place. We'll see what they decide. Thanks very much, Ahmad. Abbotsford police are investigating a disturbing incident caught on camera on a BC Transit bus. The video is making the rounds on social media. Police calling it an unprovoked assault on four bus passengers. Police say an intoxicated man was causing a disturbance on the bus that was heading into the Abbotsford area from Chilliwack on Sunday just before 4.30 in the afternoon. While police were on their way to the scene, other bus passengers stepped in and restrained the man. We believe here uh, that their actions likely uh, prevented further people from being assaulted. It's not one of those things that we would recommend people do in today's climate. Uh, it's unknown who you're dealing with, should they be carrying weapons, etc. Uh, but we are thankful and grateful uh, of the people that were on that bus that day. Four people suffered minor injuries. 45-year-old David Allen Lucas has been charged with assault with a weapon and three counts of assault. Abbotsford police say the suspect has only recently come to the Lower Mainland and is known to police outside of the area. The suspect has been released with conditions. Victoria hospitals are struggling with a problem they've seen before. Capacity pushed to the brink. But this time, health officials are considering some new options, including moving patients to hotel rooms when they're not quite ready to go yet. As Richard Zisman reports, it's all hands on deck to ensure the system doesn't collapse. A system overloaded. They are dealing with overcapacity patients, which means that there's more patients than there is funded beds. Hospitals in Victoria at a pressure point. Anyone who shows up will be given care, but Island Health contemplating more support to discharge patients, including putting staff on overtime or moving patients not needing acute care to hotels if their living situations are not stable. Where people don't have an adequate place to go back to, sometimes giving them support, and this is not unusual to these times, 
Our hospitals are often full. It's a perfect storm the system is bracing for. More staff out with COVID-19, more patients in hospital with the virus. This as people get back to normal activities and that leads to more people ending up in hospital with injuries. On top of that, Victoria has a family doctor shortage. And people are using the emergency room as primary care. It really is a symptom of an entire system that's under pressure. You know, it, it, all of the pieces um, influence what happens in hospitals. And so when you have people who can't get a family doctor, when they can't get into a walk-in clinic, many of them present at emergency wards. Earlier this week, Victoria General Hospital getting ambulance patients from another nearby hospital for 45 minutes due to staffing issues. Nurses and hospital staff also experiencing burnout due to high stress and long hours for more than two years. We're also dealing with a severe nursing shortage, uh, which means that there's literally not uh, the adequate number of nurses to provide um, the essential care that's required for patients. Hospitals also shifting energy to make up cancelled surgeries. Those on the front line still unsure how much COVID is circulating through the hospital system. One thing they are sure of is overloading is leading to care being missed. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A critically injured driver uncovers a major flaw in how ICBC pays claims. How his experience and the settlement he received led to a multi-million dollar class action lawsuit in just over a minute. This is the only one in Canada of this model. Oddball import. The story behind this one-of-a-kind automobile turning heads everywhere it goes. Later. And after making a racket outside City Hall, Victoria's pickleball enthusiasts score a win for their sport. Coming up. Right now, though, a class action lawsuit has been approved accusing ICBC and the provincial government of victimizing accident victims all over again. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the suit alleges the insurance corporation and the province siphoned away money needed by people recovering from injuries. It's been a long and expensive road to recovery for Braden Methought. He was severely injured in a car accident years later, and the costs keep piling up. But now the Williams Lake man has the green light to sue ICBC for money he's entitled to. It's the most expensive thing I've had to endure for sure, and you need every you need every penny. Matat will be part of a class action suit claiming ICBC inappropriately charged accident victims for access to medical practitioners. The medical costs were taken out of their ICBC benefits, shrinking the amount of money they could use for treatment. A BC Supreme Court decision says hundreds of people can now move forward with litigation. They fall into the population of the most severely disabled British Columbians, the most economically and socially vulnerable British Columbians. And these are not people that should ever have had their accident benefit accounts touched by anybody. The courts threw out a much larger portion of this class action application. Scott Stanley has argued since the 1990s, ICBC paid nearly a billion dollars to medical practitioners that should have come out of the medical services plan. Last year, the NDP government simply changed the law retroactively. So our government has been committed to drive down the cost of car insurance for British Columbians. And, uh, and part of that uh, is responding to uh, a culture of endless litigation. And we are changing that culture, and I make no apologies for that. 
According to court filings by ICBC, there are 275 people this class action could affect. Their benefits were clawed back despite an internal policy that clearly stated they were entitled to their full amount. The insurer claimed in court most of those people have been offered compensation. Lawyers say the number of victims is much larger. The class action will look at what compensation is owed to each plaintiff and whether ICBC owes further damages. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, backyard builds. And if we talk about an extra thousand houses, I mean, that's a lot. The dispute over garden suites in Victoria and how to get more built. But first, who's suffering most from those rising interest rates? That's net. Crews are on scene to a two-car crash here in Burnaby, westbound on Highway 1, just before Kensington in the HOV lane. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hype of a crash on Highway 1 in Burnaby. British Columbians already struggling with soaring inflation are seeing their monthly bills rise again due to the Bank of Canada's half percent interest rate hike. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on the impact to mortgage and line of credit payments. And Thanks, Chris. The recent rate hike is just the first of several predicted over the coming months. The nonprofit credit counseling society that helps Canadians solve their money problems says it means consumers will be paying more. Still, there are ways to reduce monthly debt. Earlier this month, the Bank of Canada raised its key interest rate a half point to 1%. But inflation is having a greater impact than interest rate increases for right now. That's according to the Credit Counseling Society. The consumer price index rose 6.7% in March, the largest monthly increase in more than 30 years, driven by the price of gas, which is up nearly 40% compared to last year. Still, Scott Hanna says economists are expecting five more interest rate hikes over the next year to help us address inflation. That means those borrowing money or owing money on a line of credit will face an extra cost. With each interest rate hike, the existing monthly payment on a line of credit will go up. How much will depend on the outstanding balance? Homeowners say may also be paying more on their mortgage each month. Take, for example, an average balance of $500,000. For those with a variable rate interest mortgage, it means that they're going to be facing another $140 a month in costs. Costs that for a lot of people they're going to find difficult to manage because they're already struggling with high inflation. Most of us will be able to manage our mortgage debt over a period of time. We've seen high rates, mortgage rates in the past, and those who were in the best position to manage them had minimal, if any, non-mortgage debt. Everything is up for discussion, assuming that keeping your home is your number one priority. Hannah suggests setting a five-year game plan to reduce or eliminate non-mortgage debt. Look at all your expenses within your budget and decide if there's anything you can go without. Are you paying monthly storage fees to keep items you don't need? Do you have a garage you can rent out? Can you take in a student or perhaps a tenant if you have a vehicle? Payments, do you need that new vehicle or can you get by with a used car or by taking public transit? The Credit Counseling Society also suggests mortgage holders speak to their financial institution or advisor about whether it's time to switch from a variable rate mortgage and lock into a fixed rate mortgage for stability over the next five years. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All good stuff. Okay, thanks very much, Anne.
In a city with a notorious housing crunch, builders say the process to get a garden suite approved in Victoria is surprisingly difficult. City Hall is doubling the cost of the application fee for permits, and although builders can absorb that, they say the real problem is all the red tape to get the permits approved. As Kylie Stanton reports, Victoria is promising to simplify the process. It's going to have a nice island. Two bedrooms, two baths, packed into 600 square feet. Uh, the patio doors here. But when it comes to real estate, it's all about location, location, location. Here we have a open concept living dining uh, backyard bungalow. This garden suite is finally nearing completion, but the process has had its challenges. It took nine months to be granted the necessary permits before work could even begin. You know, the more policies you have, the more people need to review those, and the more restrictions you have, the more challenging it can be. Now, the city of Victoria is taking steps to address this, which starts with upping the application fee to $2,000. We dropped the fee from $5,000 to $1,000 five years ago, um, and that's not covering the costs. The idea is to put more resources into processing the applications, reducing delays, which in turn can dramatically decrease costs associated with building, potentially saving people money in the long run. But according to this city staff report presented to mayor and council last week, that's not the only change in the works. So questions about where windows go, uh, questions about trees, we're trying to make that easier um, so ostensibly we can get more of these things built. Since the city cut the red tape and fees five years ago, there's been a huge uptick in garden suite development. Of the 108 applications, 77 have been approved, 16 are in progress, and only 15 have been denied. Putting the deck here. But with 13,000 single-family lots in the city, there's room for improvement. Fee increases that are actually uh, additional taxes for the same level of service are not going to help us with our housing affordable uh, affordability crisis. Sky-high housing prices aside, Victoria's vacancy rate is hovering around 1%. Garden suites aren't going to solve the crisis, but Cardam says for many, especially families, it's a solid option. If we talk about an extra thousand houses, I mean, that's a lot. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Political signs are in the spotlight tonight as a group of Surrey residents takes the city to court. As Grace Key reports, they're challenging a controversial bylaw that prohibits the signs on private property. This is the sign. That's one of the signs that's caused controversy in Surrey, so much so that the city and members with Keep the RCMP in Surrey are now fighting it out in court. We shouldn't be trampled by, uh, by government who doesn't like us. They've taken the signs, there's no question about it. And, and, and when I've gone down there to go and pick them up, they say, OK, well, take them away, but we're going to take them again. The signs have been planted in Surrey lawns for months. Lawyers for the group argue under the bylaw, residents are not allowed to put up a political sign on private property unless it's within a certain time frame of a vote or election, and that the definition of a political sign is so broad it could include a rainbow flag in a window. The right to freedom of expression and political expression specifically is one of the most protected forms of speech or expression. So your right to put up a sign on your lawn about an issue that may be considered political is fundamental. All in favor, against, it's carried. Mayor Doug McCallum and a Safe Surrey Coalition amended the sign bylaw in October in order to clarify the erection of signs. But the attorney for the petitioners says it was unreasonable, arguing the mayor and his coalition continue to suppress political opposition.
We've been a thorn in his side now for nearly three years. We're getting to the point where it's, it's come down to the wire. When we have the municipal election, that'll be the final thing that, that people will, will say in there. At one point, the judge asked both sides, what are we all doing here, after hearing their position on the bylaw. Council for the city uh, suggested that this was just a disagreement about interpretation and that in fact there was no ban on the posting of political signs in the way that we say there is. Now we disagree with that very strongly. The city of Surrey's attorney declined to comment. The city is expected to be making its arguments on Wednesday. Grace Key, Global News. Just ahead, two BC men on the list of Canada's most wanted. Why there's a major reward for these two fugitives next. And attempts to end the Ukraine war diplomatically, even as Canada and other allies promise more help. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good evening. Traffic is eased off in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, which is some minor backup still on the east-west connector eastbound between Knight and the S-curve. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $22 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Two B.C. men are among the top 25 fugitives in Canada. One of them is 36-year-old Jean-Carl Larkamp, who was wanted for killing Jimmy Sandu in Thailand. As Catherine Urquhart reports, it all links back to a killing at the Abbotsford Auto Mall in 2014. It's a disturbing video of a gang hit in Phuket, Thailand, February 4th. 31-year-old Jimmy Slice Sandu can be seen getting out of his vehicle. Then, the well-known BC gangster is ambushed by two gunmen and shot more than a dozen times. Suspect Matthew Dupre was arrested in Alberta. Co-accused Jean-Carl Larkamp is believed to be somewhere in Canada, and a huge reward is being offered for his whereabouts. Jean-Carl Larkamp, wanted for murder by the Royal Canadian Mountain Police and the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit of British Columbia, also with a reward of up to $100,000. Among the many questions about the murder was Sandu's killing payback. In 2014, he was charged with second-degree murder in the stabbing death of Red Scorpion, Matt Campbell. Charges were later stayed. Then, in 2015, the UN gangster was the subject of a public warning by Abbotsford police. Mr. Campbell was uh, uh, well-known Uh, well documented with respect to uh, his involvement in criminal activity. The Royal Thai Police have issued arrest warrants for Sandu's alleged killers, both former members of the Canadian military. They say the former Abbotsford resident was deliberately targeted and the suspects flew back to Canada within days of the murder. As for Larkamp, his last known residence was in Trail, B.C., and it's believed he may be travelling with a number of dogs. At a press conference in Toronto, Larkamp was among several fugitives urged to stop running. Do the right thing for yourself, for your family, for your community, and for the many people hurt by these crimes. Call a lawyer or the police and make arrangements to turn yourself in. 
Thai police say they discovered the two guns used in the murder ditched in the sea. Those weapons are now part of their case as they work toward extraditing and convicting the two Canadians. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The U.S. Defense Secretary promised today to move heaven and earth to get Ukraine the weapons it needs to defend itself. Meanwhile, Kremlin forces continue to pound eastern Ukraine, warning if America and its allies keep supplying arms to Ukraine, the war could go nuclear. Global's Jennifer Johnson has the latest from Washington. On an international stage, the U.S. Defense Secretary gathered leaders from 40 countries, including Canada, sending a clear message to Russia that Ukraine will get the weapons it needs. All of us have your back, and that's why we're here today, to strengthen the arsenal of Ukrainian democracy. Russia continues its bombardment of major railway systems in Ukraine, sending its own message to the West to stop delivering military equipment. Ukrainian officials say five stations were hit Monday in just one hour. In Moscow, the U.N. Secretary General held diplomatic talks with Russian President Vladimir Putin, trying to negotiate a truce. While Russia's foreign minister warned if NATO allies don't back down, there's serious risk of nuclear war. The U.N. leader also urged the Kremlin to allow trapped and starving Ukrainians to escape their war-torn country. We urgently need humanitarian corridors that are truly safe and effective and uh, uh, that are respected by all to evacuate civilians. World leaders say pictures of Russia's relentless attacks against Ukrainian civilians are not only war crimes, but also galvanizing NATO members to act. This situation is volatile, and we need to continue as allies to do whatever we can to support Ukraine and its sovereignty, stability and security. Anand and U.S. Defense Secretary Austin will meet in Washington Thursday as Austin continues to point the finger of blame at Putin, saying Russia is waging a war of choice to indulge the ambitions of one man. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Some of Canada's pediatric hospitals are feeling the crunch as healthcare workers battled the sixth COVID wave. They're seeing more infected patients with the youngest Canadians still ineligible for vaccines. As Global's Jamie Marocker reports, parents and physicians may have to find another way to keep their kids safe for now. Ottawa's Children's Hospital is facing a double whammy. Staff are out sick with Omicron, and two-thirds of kids coming into the ER are showing COVID symptoms. So what we're seeing specifically with this wave is now increased emergency volumes, levels that we're typically seeing at the height of viral seasons. Out of over 53,000 cases of COVID reported between April 10th and 16th countrywide, over 3,000, almost 6%, were kids under 11. But delays in data entry and restricted testing means the actual number is likely much more. With no vaccine available to kids five and under, experts say the lack of health measures in schools and daycares is fueling cases. This is the only setting, really high-risk setting, where you know, you've got unvaccinated people that are, are not masked. Families have been waiting on Health Canada to authorize a shot for kids as young as six months, but the regulator says it has yet to receive any submissions from drug makers. Moderna says it plans to file for emergency use authorization in the U.S. by the end of the week. In March, the company reported its KidCo vaccine was found to be around 40% effective at preventing infection, but experts believe the FDA will want to see data on how two doses compares to three. 
Meanwhile, Pfizer says the results of its three-dose clinical trials will be ready in the coming weeks. It couldn't say when it will ask Health Canada to approve the shot. What they're looking for is to make sure that if this vaccine is indeed given to children, does it still work against the type of coronavirus that's currently in circulation? While waiting for vaccines, experts can offer some reassurance for parents with small children. The majority of kids have milder illness. And while that's not always the case, masking, vaccinating everyone else around them, and staying home when sick are the best and really the only options families have. Jamie Marocker, Global News, Toronto. Coming up, an automotive unicorn. People wanted to see it, know all about it, know the history. What it's like to drive a car so rare, it even got the attention of Jay Leno. And in sports, the Vancouver Canucks refuse to quit. A win for pickleball players in Victoria. They will soon have a new place to play after the city shut down the popular Todd Park Court at the start of the month because of noise complaints. The city of Victoria will be setting up dedicated pickleball courts in Beacon Hill Park. It's a pilot project that will take over a parking lot near the children's playground. The city will be putting up a temporary fence and swapping out the parking lines for pickleball court lines. The hope is to have it up and running in a few weeks for drop-in play. Members of the Victoria Regional Pickleball Association say they are delighted with the change. I mean, it's just fun to say, isn't it? Pickleball. <laughs> pickleball, it is. Say it like that. Pickleball. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> uh, all right, let's see what's going on in weather with Christy out on the front porch. How you doing, Christy? I'm good. I'm good. You know, pickleball, uh, great to say, but also fun to play. I urge anyone to get try it out. It is pretty fun. You know, as we talked about yesterday, we've had a roller coaster ride so far this April, and today was no different, really. I mean, look at the beautiful sunset behind me with blue sky. Meanwhile, earlier today, incredible downpours of rain. We had reports of hail, mammatus clouds, which we know are from very intense rain clouds or thunderstorms. Here's a quick look at the radar imagery from earlier today showing these really intense cells moving across. And you know that they're intense in this image when you get that yellow, red, and then certainly the lightning strikes as well. Uh, so here's a look at one of those cells and through this mission area. Thank you to Tasha for that one. And uh, everything is sort of settled down. We still do have a slight chance of a passing shower. But overall, as we head into tomorrow, we're going to continue with this drier trend. So more sunshine tomorrow, but we wouldn't rule out still a passing shower, still some lingering instability expected across the lower mainland across Vancouver Island tomorrow but really what we're watching is this system here which is going to bring snowfall for the northeastern corner of the province 25 centimeters for Fort Nelson so this is late tomorrow into Thursday morning tomorrow you'll see some wet snow but it's not really tomorrow that we're mainly concerned about it's more so late tomorrow into Thursday when temperatures are cold enough sort of overnight so enjoy a bit more sunshine tomorrow we do have a slight chance of a shower but it shouldn't be too bad 12 degrees as our daytime high. Uh, so we're climbing back to near seasonal values. But as you can see in this trend, we don't have a significant warm up in store for us, but at least a couple of days of sunshine. Tonight's central windows weather window comes to you from uh, the Big Bar Lake area. Beautiful shot of sunset. Thank you so much to Jill showing that the Big Bar Lake starting to thaw there. The thaw is on. All right. Thank you, Christy. All right. Squire is here. Um, is there still hope? I, I'm, I'm confused. 
that there much. There's still hope? There's hope. Like yesterday there was that much hope and now there's still hope? Well, nothing happened yesterday. Oh, okay, that's why. <laughs> so that much hope is still around. You never know, though. Stranger things have happened. Uh, now, because of a lower body injury, uh, Thatcher Demko can't play tonight against Seattle, so it'll be Spencer Martin. You might remember him. He played three games for Vancouver earlier in the season. He will start in goal for the Canucks. His three games were amazing, um, for want of a better term. He played against Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Florida, which is the top-scoring team in hockey, and he had a very good 9.58 save percentage. Pushing him luck in this game. And the extremely rare vehicle that got the owner a call from comedian and car lover Jay Leno. Someone suggested that if the Canucks win in the black skate jerseys next season and forever forward, those should be the team jerseys. I, I've often thought <laughs> those should be the jerseys again. Don't you think? Our I producer like- asked if that person who suggested that was you. <laughs> it was not me. I cannot take credit for the idea, but I support it. It's a good look. It I is. mean, I'm not knocking the ones they have now, but I like the logo better. It's going to come up in a second. The 90s look. That's what the Canucks, there you go. That's what the Canucks are going to go with tonight. But uh, Thatcher Demko, who's in that photo, will not be in the lineup against Seattle. He has an ouch, as, <laughs> as Bruce Boudreaux called it, which uh, means that with Halak out as well, the Canucks are going with the all-Abbotsford goaltending duo of Artur Silovs and Spencer Martin. Um, now, this is a moment when the Canucks are very glad they moved their farm team from Utica to Abbotsford. It makes it much easier to bring in last-minute replacements. With more on the game, let's go down to Rogers Arena where Jay is standing by. A quiet game day skate for the Vancouver Canucks. We all know the scenario here at Rogers Arena. The Vancouver Canucks have three games left to play. They need to win all three and have the Dallas Stars lose their final three for any chance of getting into the playoffs. But the big news at the rink this morning, no Thatcher Demko. He was not on the ice. Now, granted, it was a game day skate, but he didn't skate yesterday, which means Spencer Martin will start for the Vancouver Canucks. He'll make his fourth start. Good save percentage at 9.58, but it looks like Thatcher Demko could be done the rest of the way. He's being evaluated right now. It's just day to day, you know. He's got a little bit of a ouch, but uh, he's not going to be playing tonight. I think everybody liked uh, the Spencer Martin story when he came and, and did what he did. Mm-hmm. Gives you confidence putting him in there, typically. Absolutely, and uh, you know, I mean, his last his three games were amazing, um, for want of a better term, and he, he held us into every game and against good competition. So I mean, uh, we feel very comfortable with him in the net. You know, and hopefully he feels comfortable coming back and playing for us and wanting to show uh, the more games he gets in, the more games, the opportunity for him to show that he's ready to play in the NHL next year. So there's two very important games being played tonight. Of course, the one here at Rogers Arena between the Vancouver Canucks and the Seattle Kraken. But the other one is going to have some serious implications for the Vancouver Canucks, and there will be some scoreboard watching going on. The Dallas Stars host the Vegas Golden Knights. 
Canuck fans have to be cheering for Vegas tonight because if Vegas wins in regulation time, then the Vancouver Canucks remain alive, provided that the Canucks win. But if Dallas wins, it's game over for the Canucks and it's game for the Vegas Golden Knights. Until you get eliminated, there's always a chance to get in. And I, I think we all understand what, what can transpire to get in. It's not going to be an easy out. This rivalry, they're going to want to come at us and pretty hard. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting game. But I, I assume we're going to get their best game that uh, they've played against us this year. So it's the Seattle Kraken tonight, the LA Kings here on Thursday. And then the Canucks conclude the regular season Friday night in Edmonton. But those games mean nothing unless the Vancouver Canucks win tonight and get some help from the Vegas Golden Knights. From Rogers Arena with your ringside report, Jay Janower, Global Sports. Well, Jay referenced this game, so let's see what's happening with Tyler Sagan, Dallas, and Vegas. Actually, the only goal we've seen so far was scored by Dallas, but they did it on their own net. Luke Glendening puts it in. William Carrier gets credit. It's 1-0 Vegas midway through the second period. The Abbotsford Canucks are playing their final regular season home game tonight against Bakersfield. After this game, they have a couple of road games. Then they'll get ready for the American Hockey League playoffs. The Abbotsford Canucks are on a roll. They have won eight in a row. The Canucks also announced today that they have donated $1.1 million to local charities this season. Uh, Western Hockey League playoffs tonight. Kelowna and Prince George will be the home teams against Seattle and Portland, respectively. Both of the BC teams are down 2-0 in their series. That's North Vancouver's Connor Bedard, and Canada's taking on Czechia today at the uh, World Under-18s. This is a, a goal by Lukas Dragasevich. You might remember his father, Milan, was the head coach of the Vancouver Giants and the UBC hockey team for a while. That made it 3-3. Graydon Seitman, Seitman make that, of Abbotsford makes it 4-4. Canada's problem today, the Czech power play. The Czech scored five power play goals, including the winner in overtime, the coach of Canada is Nolan Baumgartner, who ran the penalty kill for the Canucks until he and Travis Green got fired. So when it comes to penalty kills, this is just not the season for Nolan Baumgartner coach teams. All right, Real Madrid, Manchester City. Semi-final, Champions League, first leg. Great game. Given De Bruyne and uh, Manchester City had an early 2-0 lead. But Karim Benzema... Had to get better for Real Madrid. And when you've got Benzema, you've always two got a one. chance. <laughs> now it's 3-2. Everybody stops, basically, thinking maybe the whistle's going to go. Well, not everybody, but a lot of them. Bernardo Silva makes it 4-2 in the 74th minute. But this is a two games total goal, so every goal counts in game one, even if you lose the game. Benzema again, so it's 4-3 with the second leg on May the 4th. There you go. When you've got Benzema, you've always got a chance. Well done. <laughs> Up next, the vintage vehicle that got a BC man invited to dinner at Jay Leno's place. All right, Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, bad news for Hollywood North tonight. Contract talks have stalled, and the B.C. chapter of the Directors Guild of Canada has just issued strike notice. Barring a last-minute settlement, it means a work stoppage could happen after 72 hours. We'll have details on what this could entail for the economy and what the main issues are tonight at 11. Plus, things are looking up at Broadway and Granville, way up. Vancouver Council's approved a 39 story tower for the south side of false creek these stories and more tonight at 11 sophie all right thanks for that jordan 
All right, if you have ever seen Gary Cullen's rare vintage car cruising the streets of South Delta, chances are you'll never forget it. It's a 1948 Tatra made in what was then known as Czechoslovakia, and it's the only one in Canada. And that led to an invite to visit a celebrity car buff. Jade Rand has more, and this is BC. Checking out the car. This happens a lot. Random people pulling up to ask Gary Cullen about his very unique looking ride. It's a Tatra. It draws a lot of attention wherever he goes because very few have seen anything like it. This is the only one in Canada, this model. People uh, come in, uh, ask about the car. They follow Gary home into the driveway. This is a 1948 Tatra, a car built in former Czechoslovakia. It was tested in a wind tunnel designed by engineers who originally worked on Zeppelins. The goal was to make an aerodynamic, streamlined, state-of-the-art automobile that was ahead of its time. The giant dorsal fin down the back gives you that lateral stability in the car when the wind is blowing, much like an aircraft. So it's not just a a glitzy feature. Oil temperature, clock, turn signals. Gary knows everything there is to know about this car. Luggage compartment. In fact, a well-known comedian restoring his own Tatra called hoping to tap into his expertise. On the answering machine, there is a message from Jay Leno saying that, <laughs> hey, this is, you know, this is Jay. You know, here you have Tatras. He was invited down to Leno's California garage, and there was an instant connection between these two car enthusiasts. He even cooked supper for us in his uh, kitchen. Over the years, Gary's wife has learned never to send her husband out for any last-minute dinner ingredients. By the time he does the car show at the grocery store... It's a Czechoslovakian Tatra. Uh, yeah, the rest of the recipe is, you know, long past its prime. Years ago, Gary took his Tatra all the way to the Arctic Circle and back. But now it's mainly easy cruising around the streets of Tawasin, where he's still getting a lot of questions on every outing. You get the heat off the engine somehow? Yeah, there's a heat exchanger underneath. Do you ever wish you could just go for a joyride and not have people... Uh... <laughs> well, I can do that, you know, if I, you know, if I don't stop anywhere. <laughs> Jay Durant... Global News. Love that triple headlight. All right, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. There's something to be said for a one-car parade. I find it amazing that Jay Leno was able to find his number. Yeah, we've got to follow well, up and ask Jay how that happened. His people, right? And I don't know. They're very good. <laughs> He's got a staff. <laughs> uh, all right, final word on weather, Christy. Sure. So it is turning out to be a gorgeous evening. A passing shower is it can't be ruled out of the question. And that's the case again tomorrow, but at least more sunshine in the mix. Enjoy. Sounds good. Thanks very much. And thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all.